Every team, every topic, everywhere, this is Believe. Hello and welcome to another episode of the Brain Food Podcast. I am Casey Thomas and this week I want to talk to you about one of my favorite food items, which is rosemary. (laughs) And before I do, if you can, please be sure to leave me a rating and review. I want to hear what you're thinking about all these episodes that I've been putting out. And if you can, also please do subscribe. It helps me grow the channel a whole lot and it really does help more than you know. So with that out of the way, let's talk about some rosemary. Uh, I've always been a fan of it, just being honest. And even at my old house, we had this like row of rosemary bushes and we would just go pluck some branches to use pretty much every single week for all of our cookings. Uh, It smells great. I love it personally. But what turned me on to this is I heard a story recently that rosemary wreaths used to be worn by ancient Greek academics and students. And they believed that the smell of it or something related to wearing these rosemary wreaths would enhance the brain and help out with any sort of knowledge pursuit. And so I'll be the first to admit that I don't know nearly as much about aromatherapy as some other people, but I was intrigued. Okay, I was intrigued. (laughs) And so I did some digging, and what I wanted to do for you guys today is review a research study that investigated the effects of rosemary aromatherapy on cognition in healthy participants. Again, healthy participants, like you and me, I want to boost my brain function. I don't really care about aromatherapy in Alzheimer's people. I mean, I care, but really this is about me and you guys. So this research study was done in 2012, kind of old, by a researcher of the name Moss, M-O-S-S. So a little bit of background and why aromatherapy is maybe behind where it should be. Um, It's really hard to do research in. One of the reasons is because odors are inherently emotional. Okay, and it is well documented that emotions impact the brain as well as the brain's performance. And in fact, one of the primary biological reasons for emotions to exist is to tell your brain that this is something that is important that is happening. Okay, it is a system to let you know it's important and to remember that event. Okay, we remember emotional events. We do not remember you know, the dull, the the day-to-day, 24-7 grind. Okay, we remember emotional events, and that has a biological uh, basis behind it, okay? And so odors in general, all right, they are known to produce different emotions, and depending on what you associate those smells with, that might produce a different emotional response, which could have vastly different reactions and outcomes in different people, okay? So that right there. Now, some people just like some smells and dislike other smells, and some studies have suggested that simply liking a smell that is, you know, around around you, that by itself can improve your performance regardless of whatever the smell is, okay? It has nothing to do with the smell itself. It's just any smell that is producing enjoyment can cause some sort of performance enhancement depending on the metric that you look at, 
The other issue that we're running into is that a lot of odors and aromatherapy in general tend to be more grounded in cultural and folk wisdom, okay? And there is not really a whole lot of science behind it. And when you have scientists who go and try to investigate this, the people that they're investigating frequently hold these cultural or folk wisdom ideas, you know, in the back of their head. And what happens is this causes some sort of expectancy or belief, okay? People will placebo themselves into believing that certain smells will cause performance enhancements or performance decrements, all right? So that makes it really tough because placebo, as we've talked about before, is a well-documented phenomenon. So why am I telling you all this stuff? Well, it's very hard to do research, but the research that does exist, you need to make sure is checking a few boxes. So one has to be healthy participants. We've talked about that, right? Healthy participants has to be relevant to me and you, has to be applicable. But relevant to what I was just talking about, only trials that deceive the people, okay, deceive the participants and control for this expectation and belief associated with the smells, okay? So the people can't know that these smells are being investigated. They just have to be you know, kind of ambiently present. <laughs> um, the other thing is we need some sort of documentation that the smell or the odor is somehow interacting with the body, okay? Volatile compounds, so any kind of smell or gaseous uh, compound or molecule, it can enter the bloodstream and interact with the body. And it can do this through, you know, nasal mucosa or lung mucosa. There's also some evidence that it might be able to directly diffuse from that into the nerves or the brain even. And granted, the the blood levels that enter the body from a smell are probably a little bit lower than our typical routes of ingestion. So things like eating food or injecting, okay, these things are going to quite clearly raise blood levels. But we have a very little data on how smells enter the body and to what degree they enter the body, okay? But you need to be able to show that if you are claiming, you know, some aromatherapy is actually enhancing the body, it has to interact with the body, okay? And so you have to measure that. Only then will you have a plausible direct link to the aroma and the effect that is going on. And the present study, the one that Moss 2012 that I'm, that I'm talking about here, it did both of those things. I actually did all three of those things. It had healthy participants. It didn't tell people that they were investigating smell, so there was no expectancy or belief associated with it. And they measured blood levels of the active component of rosemary, or one active component of rosemary, at least. And what they did was then they assessed for cognitive performance as well as mood. So here's how they actually did it. The participants were put into a cubicle, and they were randomly assigned to be in a group with either four, six, eight, or 10 minutes of exposure to this aromatherapy, okay? And this exposure happened immediately before some sort of cognitive task, and we'll walk through that in a second. 
the total pretest time was locked at 10 minutes. Okay, so they were asked to wait outside the cubicle for either six, four, two, or zero minutes, depending on how much aromatherapy they were getting. So for example, if they were assigned to the four minute aromatherapy group, they had to wait outside the cubicle for six minutes to create a total of 10 minutes. All right, so they're waiting for six minutes, they enter the cubicle, they get exposed to the aromatherapy for four minutes, and then they do the cognitive test. Now, all participants were blind to the nature of the study. I said there was an element of deception that has to happen with these studies. All they were being told was that they were studying the relationship between mood and cognitive performance. And whenever one of the participants did happen to comment that, oh, hey, it smells kind of like <laughs> rosemary in here, what's going on? Uh, the researcher was told to tell them, hey, this has nothing to do with me. That must have been left over from a previous study. And then when they asked them at the end of the testing, none of the participants said that they felt the aroma affected them in any way. Okay, so that's good because that's controlling for those variables. Now, there were 20 healthy volunteers. Okay, Average age was about 22, 23 years old, and they had a good mix of both males and females. So I love that. I love that they use these young individuals, these healthy individuals, and they got a good mix of males and females. They did real good there. Now, as far as the actual cognitive tasks, they did two serial subtraction tasks. One was a serial three, and one was a serial seven. And basically how this works is they're given... A, well, this is how they did it. They give you a random number between 800 and 999, and then they tell you, subtract three. Now subtract three again from that number that you just got, and keep subtracting three, four, and just keep going and keep doing that over and over and over again until two minutes has been reached. Okay, and do the exact same thing with the serial seven subtractions, okay? Give you a random number, subtract seven from it, keep subtracting seven from it, and at the end of two minutes, I'm gonna tell you to stop. The third, cognitive task that they did was a rapid visual information processing task. And the participants were essentially presented with a continuous series of digits in the center of a screen. Okay, so just a bunch of digits put in the middle of the screen, and they were asked to detect sequences of any three consecutive odd digits or any three consecutive even digits, and then press a bar, press the space bar to, to indicate that, hey, I saw a 135, or I saw a 246, or I saw 468, and so on. Okay. After three minutes, this task stopped. And all of these tasks were chosen because they're good measures of working memory. You have to keep a lot of stuff in your brain right now, okay? And you have to remember it because if you're going to subtract numbers, good measure of executive function as well as sustained attention. Okay, so that's the rapid visual information processing task, all right? You have to keep focus on this and you have to inhibit pressing the space bar whenever there's an incorrect sequence on the screen and then you have to press it as fast as you can whenever there is the correct sequence. So executive function, sustained attention, and also these tasks are variants of similar brain processes that are encountered in the real world. Now, lastly, they also wanted to assess mood, and specifically, they wanted to look at alertness, calmness, and contentedness. And then those were all of the tests that they did on them. And then they also took blood samples 
to actually measure how much rosemary got in their blood. Okay, and just as a quick note, no study to date, or before this at least, had used humans and measured blood levels after rosemary aromatherapy. So this was kind of interesting and novel in that regard and part of why I wanted to talk about it. And before we get into the results, we should probably go over predictions. Um, basically, if you think that rosemary does interact with the body, then you would believe that more exposure would lead to an increase in blood levels. And if you think that rosemary can enhance performance, then you would probably hypothesize that the greater the blood levels, the better the performance enhancements. Or maybe you think aromatherapy does nothing. Or you might speculate that the more rosemary in your blood, the worse off your performance is. Okay, so maybe there's a negative correlation there. Uh, maybe you think it doesn't mean anything. Maybe there's a plateau effect, okay, where, hey, once you hit a certain threshold in your blood, performance caps, okay, there's no further enhancements that can be possible. Maybe aromatherapy causes blood levels that are too low to actually do anything. And if you had simply eaten it or you had an injection, maybe, maybe then you could cause performance improvements. And another possibility is simply maybe these tests are bad tests. Maybe these are not the appropriate variables that we should be looking at. Okay, maybe other tests would have shown or will show effects from rosemary aromatherapy, while these ones will not. All right, so there's, there's really a lot of possibilities based off of what you think will happen. But in short, if you think aromatherapy is going to help, as it you know has been suggested in the past to do so, then it has to do it through a mechanism. And so in that case, the hypothesis becomes, hey, the more blood rosemary there is, the better my performance should be. All right, that is the working hypothesis. And so what happened? Well, as expected, I suppose, based on time of exposure, there were increasing levels of rosemary in the blood. So we saw that the people who only had four minutes of exposure had much less than six minutes, which had less than eight minutes, which had less than 10 minutes. Okay, so in a dose-response fashion, the more time that the participant was exposed to the rosemary, the more that actually made it into the blood. That makes sense, okay? No, no real shocker there. But here's where it gets a little bit more interesting. There was a positive linear relationship between how much was in the blood and the performance on both of the serial 3 and serial 7 subtraction tasks. All right. And there was also a negative relationship between how much was in the blood and the reaction time on those same tasks. And by negative relationship, that just means that as there was more in the blood, reaction time decreased. And this is a good thing, right? Reaction time, you wanna be faster, so you want a shorter reaction time, okay? So they did better, and they did it faster in both the serial threes and the serial sevens. And this was related to how much was in the blood, okay? So the people with the lowest dose in the blood did worse than the people with the highest dose. Now, as far as the rapid visual information processing task goes, 
There was no relationship between the blood levels of the rosemary and performance on this task. That being said, there was still a negative relation between the blood levels and the reaction time on this task. And again, this means they got quicker, okay, which is a good thing. As far as the mood variables go, there was no change or relation to alertness, no relation on calm, no relation on the pleasantness of the spell. Okay, remember how we said earlier how simply being exposed to the pleasantness of the smell would potentially impact results? But here they showed that there was no relation on the pleasantness of the smell. But really interestingly, better contentedness led to better performance. Okay, so people who rated higher contentedness had better performance. So what does this all mean? Well, first, I think this was an awesome study and one that I wanted to talk to you guys about because this was the first study, the first ever study to show that inhalation of these aromas can raise blood levels in humans. Previous one, pre previously, all of our data was in animals. And we know that the small molecule size of these inhaled compounds can cross the blood-brain barrier. And this is great because this provides us with a direct plausible mechanism through which aromatherapies can actually interact with the brain and cause changes. All right, so if you want to see any impact on the brain, then your compound has to get to the brain in order to do it. <laughs> Makes sense, but a lot of people overlook this. So we have previous data showing the rapid visual information processing task is a great tool to assess sustained attention and executive function. And on the other hand, we have data for the serial subtraction task that those are great at assessing working memory as well as simple arithmetic processing. All right, so going to the serial subtractions, one interesting observation was that the results were greater in the serial threes than the serial sevens. And serial threes are the easier of the two. All right. So it seems like this rosemary aromatherapy is having a greater impact on a task with a lower cognitive load. And based on the results where, you know, hey, we got results in the serial threes and th serial seven subtractions, but not the rapid visual information processing task, this suggests that there needs to be a demand on a memory process in order for enhancement to be observed. And this is consistent with anecdotal reports of what Rosemary does, is that it enhances memory processes. And it seems that, on the flip side, these attention-based resources, the kind that are used in the rapid visual information task, this doesn't seem to be susceptible or have any room for improvement. Okay. Now, one really interesting finding from the study was that we saw improvements in reaction time across the board. And classically, when you're looking at various supplements and pharmaceuticals and nutrition and all this kind of stuff, what you see is there is something called, you know, this like speed accuracy trade-off, where the more accurate you want to be, the slower you have to go. Okay, and it's just because you have to focus a little bit harder and that slows you down. But in this study, we saw improvements in the serial subtractions and in reaction time. 
And that, that kind of blows my mind a little bit because usually I'm working on the assumption like, okay, well, I get to pick one or the other and that's it. And so depending on what you care about, that's the, you know, that's the compound I'm going to recommend is the one that improves either A, accuracy or B, reaction time, because typically you can't get both. But this is a compound that did give you both. And so I love that. That was really cool. And the other thing that I thought was really interesting was that your subjective measures of alertness had nothing to do with performance. But but improvements in mood, on the other hand, feeling more content, did correlate with blood levels and did lead to performance enhancements. All right, that's that's kind of interesting. So I guess some final thoughts here is if you have a task that is not too cognitively demanding, right, the serial threes did better than serial sevens, then rosemary aromatherapy can enhance performance and specifically in a memory-related task. If you have a task that you care about which requires good reaction speed, rosemary can help. Seems, seems pretty straightforward there because across the board we saw improvements in reaction speed, right? And one thing which wasn't really highlighted in the study, but I think is really something that a little golden nugget that I want to pull out here is if you walk into any task with a better mood, it seems like you're going to do better, all right, than if you are simply aroused, all right? So don't go pound a bunch of caffeine right before your, you know, next big event. Maybe just take a few minutes and put yourself in a better headspace, all right? Take a few moments to yourself, put yourself in a better mood, because that seems to be the key to performance enhancements rather than simple arousal, all right? This this study was the first, and I wanted to highlight it because it was quite seminal in the field, but there are, <laughs> there's a lot of unknowns after this study, right? We don't know what the optimal length of exposure is. I don't know if 10 minutes is good or if, you know, 50 minutes is good, right? I have no idea. I don't know. I don't know what particular rosemary oils you should be using. Okay. Seems like 10 minutes is a good starting point though. All right. And you can experiment with longer and see how you do. That's the fun thing about nutrition is there is no risk. There is no downside. All right. You can just try this stuff out and it's going to be no problem. All right. Just pick a measure that you care about and actually measure it. But try it out. Um, I'll stop there. Thanks for listening. Really appreciate it. Please, please, please let me know what you thought this week. Uh, leave me a rating. Leave me a review. Shoot me an email. Okay, it's caseythomasrd at gmail.com. Love to hear from you. Love to hear you know what you think of all these episodes that I've been putting out. If you can, also subscribe. Really does help me grow. And I want you to be the first to know when I have new episodes coming on out. So with that... Please go uh, smell the wildlife and, and see what happens. Take care. Thank you for listening to Believe. You can show support to your host by subscribing to the show and giving us a five-star rating on your preferred platform. Check us out at Believe.com and search for B-L-E-A-V on YouTube.